Welcome to It's All Fine and Dangy, where we talk about community, health, culture, and all of the big and little things that make life good. Here are your hosts, Dan and Angie. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of It's All Fine and Dangy. We are so happy you are tuning in today. We are happy you are here. You say that sometimes. I forget to say that. Say what? Just we're happy that you're listening. I am happy that people are listening. I am too. We've been able to do 51 episodes because people listen. I know. I mean, technically, you can do a podcast and nobody can listen to it. That's true. This is very true. But we're happy that people enjoy hearing our voices. You know what I would say? This is going to sound so cheesy, but you know, if you, it's like the writing. If 10 people are reading your book, you know, you feel thrilled and you don't yeah. want to get jaded from that. No. And I don't, honestly. And when I hear people say, oh, I listened to the episode with whatever, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Don't, don't you get excited? I though? really do. And I, and and I am especially thankful. Again, I don't want to sound jaded, but I'm especially thankful that the numbers are climbing. Not with every episode as much as every month. Every month, there is a noticeable trend and increase. So I love that because that means... Friends are telling yeah. friends or guests are telling or people friends. are enjoying it. That's yeah. the thing. No, but people wouldn't tell others about it if they didn't enjoy it. And what yeah. I love about it is that each and every episode that they listen, listen to, they're getting a new experience with a different guest. That's right. And, and it's so different sometimes. I know. And that can help support those small businesses or small farms or just hear inspirational stories, or maybe they'll get an idea that they can take from it. I yeah. mean, that's what I love about I it. I do too. I really do too. And you know what? I I don't want to go on and on about this either, even though I keep saying that, but the people we have met, I was thinking the other day when I was editing. Don't go on and on about it because they're really cool people. (laughs) It's just like we have have met some people that were a little hard to kind of get them to open up a little bit, but I sincerely mean this when I say we haven't met anybody that just wasn't really interesting and really cool. And I feel like we've made friends with 90% of the people we've interviewed. And you know what? I, my favorite thing is when people say that after they've had an interview, it was fun. I know. And that is most important to me because really I want to have, we have fun doing we this do. and I want them to have fun. I know. I, I agree. I totally agree. And but it, it could be kind of nerve wracking, like thinking that, oh my gosh, people are going to hear what I have to say and yeah. I got to tell them something important and of value. And all of them have very valuable things to, to tell tell our audience. Yeah, so. I agree. And speaking of which, we keep talking about doing this coffee talk thing. We actually did go out to the uh, the new location of the Coffee Shop of Horrors, which is called, do you know what it's called? Here's the quiz. Jonesy's Escape. You got it. I oh my, nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> Named after the cat from the alien movies that always escapes. But um, anyway, we've been up there a couple times now, maybe a few times actually, and we... Went up there to do our coffee talk. We brought the little microphones and kind of plugged into our phones, sat down, started talking, and then we kept finding ourselves talking to Nick in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah. So, and he wasn't hooked up to a microphone. Yeah. So, obviously, we just had to kind of set that aside because he was very interesting to talk to. He really so. was. And we mentioned this before, but we're going to have him on the yeah. show. I'm a- excited to hear his we're story. We're interviewing him April 5th, I believe. Yep. So, we're going to go into the coffee shop. But for the listeners, berries. do we know when he's going to be on? No, I don't have that answer okay. for you well, yet. It'll be I'll that probably... Thursday, uh, the Thursday of that week. Oh, okay. Which is what, four days later, whatever. I don't the know. The ninth, maybe something like that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So we'll, we'll plug that obviously as it gets closer, but um, we're excited to do that. And that's one of the scenarios I talked about last week, but where someone starts telling you, 
like how they got into the business. And it's weird because when you have a podcast, you want to go, and I did, I go, okay, wait, 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 don't tell me. Don't, yeah, save it. <laughs> save your cool stories. Right. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we got to get back in there. I want to get some of those keto donuts yes. so we can stop eating Well, you want to know what I want next what? week for breakfast one day when I'm laying in bed for my surgery? Quiche? I want some of those keto donuts. Oh, so I'm I will have make to get you, you some. I will get totally some. get you some. You better believe it. And their coffee, oh gosh, I'm telling you, this coffee is so good. You know, we have a pretty decent brand of coffee we, we buy here. All organic, yeah. But I was telling, um, when I was in there one day, you weren't with me when I was um, out at Kim's. Yep. And I stopped in and got a bagel and a coffee. Right. And the I drink the dark coffee there. And yes. I was selling it to somebody It was their first time in. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this coffee is not bitter. It's just... It is so delicious. You know I cannot we, even describe it to you. Like, you know what we should do? We should buy a couple packs of it and we should only drink them on the night we do the podcast or the day or whatever. I like to drink coffee when we're doing yeah. this. That would be cool. Yeah, we should. We, we definitely should. So I got to get a little reading in today and some outside time. I know. I love that. Both those things were on my... Um, Bucket list? No, the chart. Why can't I never remember the name of the of the chart <laughs> You make at the beginning of the year inspirational tar- chart. Oh, the ch- uh, the, your vision board. The vision board. I don't know why I cannot well, remember what those are called. Well, that's good you put that on there, and it's good you did it because you are about to be in the bed for Laid a week up a or little two. bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I went down to Wakaiva Island and just um, kind of chilled nice. in one of the little chairs and read a little book called Lies That Bind by Aww. Daniel Fox. I'm rereading that. That's so cool you're reading that again. Yep. And enjoyed some nice out time. It was beautiful outside. And I was just thinking when I was sitting there by the water, I love being by the water, you know, hearing the birds and just, you know, there's people there too, but yeah. I was kind of away from all the people. Right. But the birds, you know, were sure. chirping and, and the hawks were hawking, whatever they do. He <laughs> <laughs> like Ooh, that's a loud. That was a loud cackle right there, buddy. <laughs> Angie cackles when she laughs if everybody hasn't noticed. Anyway, so what I was thinking of is our backyard because we're yeah. getting close to starting you know, going to yeah. start in the yard yeah. when I'm not all gimped up. And I've got to get out there and make a little sanctuary yes. for us to be able to enjoy to walk right out in your backyard and enjoy it. I want and like we, a little yeah. pond That'll back be perfect. there. And then also we're going to have a pond back there because I told you. No, I know. I, I got you an iPad and an Apple Pencil and a Mac, and you drew it on a piece of paper with a I pen. I did, but we're going to actually have a pond back there because there's clearing all this property behind, right behind our yard that yep. took all the trees down, and I was devastated because all the, we have these beautiful birds that come yep. in our yard, a variety of birds, and I waved one of the guys down, and I said, hey, what's going back here? Because I need to know if we need to put a fence up. And he said, no, they're redoing the pond. I know. That's going to be so cool. We're going to have so many birds in our yard. I'm so excited. I am too. That's going to be great. And we're going to have three or four gardens. Um, A vegetable garden is what I'm most excited about for sure. Well, we're going to do three raised beds out there. But I really want to make our landscaping very edible. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You called it a food forest in the back. Yeah, so a food forest and just really anything that we plant, I kind of want to gear it towards some pretty stuff, but more towards um, being able to kind of sustain our refrigerator throughout the year. Oh, I love that idea. And I really want... Yeah, you got... I got you a cool little book a couple of years ago for Easter. Remember yep. when I got you like this oh, little yeah. gardening basket? 
And this book is really great for teaching beginners kind of how to grow the right things together, you know, what what flowers to plant near things to yeah. keep bugs away. So we'll take it slow and, you know, not go too crazy so that we can actually um, hone in on that craft of gardening. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And, you know, you know what it makes me think of, and I don't want to go negative here, but right now the big coronavirus scare yeah. And, you know, there are areas where there are areas of the world where they have people full on quarantined. I know they're doing it in China. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're doing it in Italy yet. Um, I was reading today the Middle East has been hit pretty hard by it. And it made me think if you're quarantined to stay home, you right. either have to like stock up at the grocery store and hope that you don't run out. It's kind of like hurricane prep where you're eating junk, like canned food. But if you have gardens. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you have enough of it, you could live off your own land you for a long time. Yeah. And it, that's just something that's always been of an interest to me. Sure. And me too. It in, always has been. We're like right smack in between like the city and a little more where yeah. you could get out to the country we're in quicker. The suburb, we're suburbs. kind of suburbs. urban, an urbanish area. Or urbanish. I said suburbs. Suburbs. I think it's called suburbs. <laughs> But, you know, and we have a, a really nice sized yard that we could really, yeah. you know, we do something really almost good 2, with. Almost 2,000 acres. Yeah, right? No, I'm not taking care of 2,000 acres. We I have, don't want that much. We have like half an acre, maybe quarter of an acre, but it is a good sized yard. It's, it's, it's There's plenty of room back there. There's plenty of room to yeah. have a, a nice little, like I said, that little sanctuary part. Yeah, and definitely. then to me, just getting out and I, I like being outside. I don't like being inside. I know. And I do too. And I have spent more time. I've been working 50 hours a week, 60 hours a a week. Um, uh, That's just day job lately. But uh, yeah, I am taking next week off. Maybe we can get outside, maybe sit outside after your surgery. I know for the first few days, you're supposed to just be in bed. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll play it by ear. But I have already thought this out. Like I specifically took the week off next week to kind of hang out with you and take care of you and make sure you're good. Um. And just for those of you that don't know, Angie's getting hip surgery. It's a long story. It's not a hip replacement, but it's going to be just as intense as far as the surgery. I kind of wish it was a hip replacement because I'd be up in like two days. Up in Adam sooner. <laughs> but anyway, so oh so goodness. I've got uh, planned movies for us to watch, um, board but- games for us to do. We can do reading. We thought about reading the same book maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're going to- We're going to have our own little mini book club. I'm telling you, if you're going to let me pick the first book, because I haven't read a book in a while, and I'd love to reread one with somebody that hasn't read it. I want to reread The Tommy Knockers. That was always my okay. favorite from Stephen I've King. I've never even heard of it, so there well, you go. Well, that's the best part. That's <laughs> kind of what made me think about it. Don't even say anything about it. I won't. <laughs> um, but I also was going to say that the whole point of that was- trying to keep you busy because when you're stuck inside, you're going crazy. Yeah. I love being outside, but if I get stuck inside, I'm okay. If I can get a computer. Yeah, I get, I get a little depressed feeling, yeah. definitely. And yeah. I've kind of, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. I'm yep. still kind of in a little funk, but I'm getting a little better. Yeah, I know. I, but and I think I, I'm looking get, forward to getting on the, the healing mend. process. And, and, you know, they have me going back, going to PT the week after. I know. I pushed be. it a few more days though. I said, okay, I'm going to give myself give a, a whole break. week of recovery doc yeah. and then I'm going to go to PT. So, And Dr. C at Revival Chiropractic, another plug for them because they are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you need to get your butt in yeah. there right away because when you're doing PT, that physical therapy, they're moving a lot of stuff around and she's got to make sure they're not you know, your bones are staying in place. Yeah. And they already know my nervous system is like very touchy feely. Yep. 
And if I don't go, then I get these weird pains in my body oh, that are like really strange. <laughs> I know. I am guilty of skipping lately because of workload. You must not have those pains I get I do, then. though. I'm starting to get like headaches again. And so yeah. I got to I gotta start making sure I'm going in there regularly. And sort of off topic, but let maybe tie back into the Stephen King book. Angie and I are completely hooked on the new HBO show, The Outsider. Yes. And, and okay, let me just say something about it because okay. I know you're going to tell tell about your friend that's in it or your acquaintance. Um, I have to watch a funny movie before yep. a show before I go to bed right. or after we watch it because yeah. it is a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Stephen King. It is. And it's not it's not a horror <laughs> no. thing. People always think he's a horror writer and he and I guess he kind of is, but most of his stuff is actually not. It's, it's it's just creepy. It's either creepy or dramatic. You know, he he wrote The Green Mile, he wrote The Shawshank Redemption, yeah. he wrote Stand By Me. A lot of yeah. shows that have nothing to do or movies that have nothing to do with the I guess you should say books yeah. that, have, that aren't really what I would call horror, but it's really good. If you have HBO, we just got HBO because Friends mm-hmm. is coming to it and Westworld season three. So the Westworld, I really like that show. So yeah, for people one. that don't watch much TV, you know, we have our staples and we just started watching Walking Dead again with Rachel. And yes. it's, it's a tough yes. one. I'm just going to say it's a good comedy. These days. But back to The Outsider, as Angie said, Carlos Navarro, our own local, he's a local celebrity. He's also on the Monsters in the Morning and a radio station here in Central Florida. It's 104.1. But it's just really cool to see him because I knew he was in it. I didn't know where. We were looking for him. We were looking for him. Same (laughs) as he's been on The Walking Dead. He's been in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He's been in several movies, Identity Thief with Jason Bateman. Anyway, so it's really neat when you see someone that you know, and I mean, I know him, you know, he's far removed, I know yeah. him, but just really, really cool. So yeah, props it, to Carlos it, it, for that. It's exciting to see people succeed in something that they're, you know, it shooting is. for. It really is. And I, and I get nervous for him. It's weird. When he's on screen, I'm like, <laughs> all right, do good, man. Come on. And he always does. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't even really know him that good, but I just do when he comes on stage yeah, so or on screen. But it's a really good show. Anytime that Dan would... um see him on the walking dead when you're watching he'd yell out to us all there's carlos yes and they'd be like i know i know we know there's carlos (laughs) yes we see him (laughs) anyway that is it for me for this and that are you all wrapped up Uh, that wraps me up for this and that too so i'm very excited to introduce the incoming uh community call out we met with Hugh and Lisa Kent at King Grove Organic Blueberry Farm. You've heard us talk about that place before. Really interesting, really cool. Yeah, uh, you're going to learn a lot from this interview. You really, it's really are. interesting. Very interesting. Uh, and we met ver- with them a few weeks ago. So yeah, we did. So anyway, uh, we'll definitely be back. And uh, in the meantime, stay tuned for your community call out. That's it. Hey guys, welcome back. Now it's time for our community call out. And today our interview is brought to you from a local organic farm here in Lake County, Florida. We are sitting here in Eustis with Hugh and Lisa Kent. They are owners of King Grove Organic Farm. Thank you guys so much for having us out to the farm today. It's beautiful out here. 
Thanks. Glad to and have you. And it's a beautiful day to enjoy out here, I'm telling you. It really it's is. a little bit warm, but I love it. Get that cool breeze coming through right yeah. now. It's a nice time in Florida. For those of you listening from uh, more north, I know we have some Canadian listeners. We're sitting out here now on, in sort of like the sunroom, and it's probably 70 degrees out yes. here. Yes. Not have, bad. Not bad. That's uh, Fahrenheit. You'd have to do the math. for the... Yeah, do the math. <laughs> so first things first, can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? Maybe personally. Oh, depends sure. on how personal you want to get, though. You know. Sure. So I used to work as an environmental consultant for an engineering firm in Orlando for you, about sixteen years. You and Dan were just talking about that. Something yes. in common. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a, a wildlife biologist. We did a lot of um, oh, cool. Yeah, wetland restoration work and some threatened endangered species surveys, and got to spend a lot of time outside and around the state. And that was oh, very great. cool. Oh, it sounds nice, actually. Yeah, it was really nice, and. Um, this was about 16 years I worked there. Yeah. And you get to the point where they want you to do, you know, more than what you really want to do. You oh, want to marketing and the sales and they get you out of the field. And oh, sure. Yeah. And yeah. I Next thing you know, you're stuck behind a desk. Yeah. Exactly. Doing the stuff you didn't sign up for. Right. Precisely. <laughs> and yeah, not really all that qualified for it. Yeah. So. Um, so Hugh and I met about 12 years ago, 13 years ago and recognized that, um, he needed some help out here with a lot of the bookkeeping and, okay. and um, yeah, decided to make the change about five years ago. And I work out here full time now. Wow. And yeah. So this is fairly new to you. For me, yes. Okay. Yes. Well, but, not, but not to Hugh. Oh, You've no. been out here for quite some time, huh? <laughs> a while. It's a, it's a farm that's been in the family for a long time. And uh, I I saw it go uh, go up for sale in 2003. And one of my sisters and I bought it from the rest of the family, just oh. out from underneath some speculators. And we knew we'd have to sell a good portion of the farm um, in order to pay off the debt that we incurred in order to buy it. So okay, took out a big loan. And uh, first thing we did was I, I spent five years developing, um, trying to develop half of the property in order to sell it. And I, I worked um, on a conservation design subdivision, which is uh, something something um, advanced by a guy named Randall Arndt. The idea is to build something which is similar to a golf course development Mm -hmm. without the golf course. So you take the most ecologically valuable parts of the land and you don't disturb them. So if you have a lake and some high value uh, woodlots and Mm -hmm. you can build trails and ask people to live in smaller houses on smaller lots in exchange for preserving some of the land. I and love then that, is that idea. Is that community space then, like the lake and the woods and stuff? Well, it, it is community space in the same way that a golf course is for a golf course sure. development. But instead of the golf course being the common amenity, it's some natural land which is of high value and which ends up being preserved. And if you do, if you institutionalize this into the planning process in the community, you can link properties that are developed this way, and so that the green space connects to each other, and you end up with linear parks and and uh, corridors for wildlife between large preserved areas of wildlife and and throughout the areas where the people are uh, to other areas of large. And so it works well in, in places like Northern Lake County and Central Lake County, Florida, yeah. because we have a lot of preserved areas. And, um, and it would be nice to see some of these corridors integrated yeah. into developments so that you're not extinguishing everything that used to live on that property. That so is this, really cool. This was a, it, basically, it was a, an effort to do something um, – slightly better than 
was typically being done. So I, I'm yeah. kind of an incrementalist. I like to work on things where I, I think I can improve it a little bit. I'm not yeah. revolutionary. I'm Let's go ahead and do this a little bit better. So Let's make an iteration better. Yeah. But yeah. you said you were working on that. Did you end up – so how did that proceed? You were, that's part of what you had planned for part of the land. Right. Well, that was a five-year project. So we had other investors come in with us when we bought the property. Right. And they expected a return, of course. Of yes. course, and, yeah. Uh, so I spent five years as a, as a Florida real estate developer, which is an interesting occupation. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Just trying to learn the business, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's a colorful business, and there's a lot of politics in it. And, sure. Mm-hmm. And um, I came at it from a lawyer's perspective. That's what I used to do when I, when I lived up north. And uh, so it was a challenge. And it, it worked out. It worked out very well. There were um, ultimately the project was almost ready for complete approval and sale, and then the county became interested in the property as uh, conservation land, which I, for me personally and selfishly, was the best of all possible oh, sure. yeah, true. results. Which because it was going to be horrifying to me to take this this piece of land that I valued so much personally and mm-hmm. uh, watch it get developed to do yeah. at all. It's always tough. You know, sure. bulldozers are, you know, they're destructive and yeah. you have to alter the land if you want people to live there. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard balance to strike where, you know, sure. it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't cause a lot of grief. So this is, this is very gratifying because the County had, um, you know, and I thank the people that live here because 71 or 72 percent of the people in Lake County voted to tax themselves to buy conservation land. Oh, that's and wonderful wow. to know. This was done in in 2000, 2004 or five, I think. I can't remember exactly when the when the referendum passed, but uh, bonds were issued in order, um, backed by this vote, allowed the county to issue bonds, and uh, I think it was maybe. Th- Thirty million dollars or so they had to buy properties, and they they came up with uh, objective criteria to rank properties based on uh, mm. how valuable they were for the conservation program. Oh, very cool! And this yeah, my a- mom lives out in Black Bear Black Bear Preserve, and they bought property out there because it's like a bird sanctuary out there. So you can't. There's not going to be any developments going up there in the any near future hopefully yeah. so the houses i think are five acres or more that are set out there and it's yeah it is definitely bird sanctuary because she has every type of bird in her yard that you could even think of right so the, the county came in and uh, they had a process of um of appraising the property to set the value and they did that and we we decided to discount the appraisal value by um, by a third, so it was two thirds of what the county had appraised it for, and they 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 bought it. We sold it. It's now uh, a wonderful place to walk around and to take little kids to show them what natural parts of Florida are like. It's a beautiful piece of property. It's across yeah. across the street here. Lake so May. Comes oh, oh, so it's across the street. It's from the Lake here. May. Yes, it's Lake May. So, how many acres in all do you have on the farm? Actually, it, it, it was roughly a three hundred acre farm. Oh wow! And then um, we sold half of it, and we retained the the other half and started farming. Oh, cool. Well, so I, cool. I heard you mention, because this was one of my questions, um, that you lived up north. So are you f- native to Florida, or did you move down here, and when did you? No, I can't claim to be native. <laughs> now, see, I claim, I because I love Florida so much that I'm like, look, I'm a native Floridian. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> 
I love my sunshine. I need it. After a certain amount of years, I think, you know, whatever. Well, Lisa moved here when she was one, but the purists still call her a carpetbagger or a Yankee or something. (laughs) I have to say, I'm not a native, but I've been here since I was a year old. Oh, okay. Really? I've been here since I've been 12, and I'm claiming myself. I don't care. what. And I'm from Michigan. I don't care. I am a Floridian. (laughs) Well, look, as someone who was born in Apopka, I say yes. you guys can all claim yourselves as locals. Oh. So how's that? <laughs> Dan said I can. There yeah, you go. So you are you are allowed to. Um, so my, you said this was a family farm. Mm-hmm. So obviously um, your family was in this business. But were you either of you raised farming? My, my, uh, my family... Um, you met, I think you met Lucy out in I the did. hallway a little bit ago. She's the world's oldest farmer, She's is old, what you said, right? right. <laughs> Funny story about that. <laughs> Lucy grew up on the farm where my mother grew up. Um, okay. And my uh, my uncle Hugh, who I'm named for, was a farmer there, and uh, he uh, he he farmed after my grandfather did, and, and of course. Uh, his father and father's 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 father. This is the oldest wow. family farm in the country. It started in 1632. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. 11, I think 10 or 11 generations. And I was okay. passed on from father to son. So that's where my mother grew up, and that's where I could go and walk around and realize my ancient ancestors have been kicking the same dirt for, yeah. <laughs> for a long time. And what type of so, farming did they do? It's a vegetable farm. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. It was a uh, one of the first farms that sold direct to the public. So they, when the big supermarkets came in, they opened a farm stand on the road and sold direct to the public. That's oh, very cool. Is that where the way you, they survived? Is that where you learned your passion for farmland and conservation and all that kind of stuff? I, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, there's something. There's something in it. I guess you know. You yeah. You grow up with that kind of um, exposure and people with with uh, you know who value land and sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and they work it, yeah. you know, that was... And th- this place was part of the same family. So so this yeah. farm we're on now was uh, was homesteaded by a guy named John King, who, who came uh, here by steamship from uh, Buffalo to Savannah and horseback from Savannah here in the 1870s. And then oh, wow. he started the farm. And one of, my, one of my ancestors then bought it in 1890, and he was here until uh, 1930. When he passed on, and you have a lot one. of numbers in your head. I don't know another how you remember one. all those. <laughs> you know your history. <laughs> so, hence the name King, King Grove, Grove Farm. Yeah, the King, you right, kept King, that right. So, John King was the one who homesteaded it, and that was in the that was a program the federal government had um, after the Civil War. They wanted more population in mm-hmm. in Florida, and um, it, you the deal was you would get a provisional deed, come down to Florida. Um, and farm a farm a piece of land for ten years, and then you would get a, the, the deed would become permanent. So that's mm. how he that's how he got here. Came with a wife and two little kids, and made that trip. It's amazing to think about how uh, it's not that it's not that long ago. Yeah, you know, the 1870s, and think of how different this area was. Right. It's yeah, really cool um, to hear you tell like these, you know, pinpoint these dates and stuff because we just started watching a a series on oh, TV they, yes. called America: The Story of Us. Highly recommend, by the way. Look, I don't know history. I do not. I did not pay attention in high school. It now was you very do. boring. But this show, I'm like, what? It's, I'm it's, learning stuff. It's it, really cool. Yeah, it's done really well. They they use some computer graphics, but yeah. they start from like the time we 
first got here and discovered the Native Americans and it kind of, it's got actors and it's narrated and there's some CGI and it goes through, we've made it up to like the industrial age now and now they're starting to build skyscrapers and. But one uh, of the things they show are like how people would pick a little plot of land and they were farming it and. You know. And how they struggled yeah. with farming when they first got here and tobacco. Yeah. And it's, it's super interesting. But um, I have to ask, was the farm always used for blueberries or was it used for all kinds of stuff before that? No, it was a citrus grove. Okay, citrus okay. grove. Like, like most of the farming like in grove, Central Florida. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Orange groves and such. Yeah, yeah and the, the first trees were planted in the uh, late 1800s. And then there was a big freeze in 1893. Yep. And then the, the industry changed but it survived mm-hmm. uh, right a lot of people prospered before that and then they had some struggles for a while and then they they got going again and this was um this is a really significant area for citrus eustace was even the central yes. florida just this region was important now, lots of now research was, was done um here. was citrus native to this area because well, we just learned about muscadine grapes and mm-hmm. how they're native mm-hmm. um i'm wondering if citrus was brought in and it they just found that it does grow or if it was already here it was brought in chinese i think it's not surprising that that it was imported far east we were finding that not to jump topics too much but we found that super interesting like horses aren't even from america they were brought in Uh it's crazy when you think of some of the stuff that we consider part of the original natural land and it's not really um so when did you decide or was it like us Oh, like us, like us well, our own. Yeah. You learn that you from that look, show we're watching. Yes, we, yeah. you guys, look suspiciously European. <laughs> <Exactly. right? laughs> That's yes. exactly right. Yeah, it's too funny. But you know, I don't know why. You know, I guess because you see in all the history books and you read about like all the Native Americans on horseback, and a lot of us just automatically assumed, oh, they had horses. so they were riding around on horses when we got here. No, no, we brought the horses the, over. The so. Spanish brought. Um, the horse is over. Yeah. That's what we learned. Isn't that yeah. it's so interesting it's to so me? So cool. So when did it become blueberries out here? Was that something that you started or was that before? No, I started the blueberries uh, after the development project was over. So we we were able to pay off the loan and start the farm. And I, I recognized um, that citrus was going to be a tough haul for a while mm. because of citrus screening disease. Right. And, I remember uh, that. Like um, hearing about that when I was – maybe a teenager with farm because there used to be like over by Publix up there that was a huge um, orange grove and all of that land over there was but I remember a year where they talked about that in the 70s in Apopka it was they were all over the place orange groves mm. so well I'm going to sound like an old timer here but well, there was the big freeze and, you know, <laughs> yeah 1983 and, and, and canker was a big thing then too right that's what it yeah. was that what it was called canker citrus canker okay yeah. so 83 and 85 is when the big freeze came and really knocked the industry on its head right around here right. it was two or I think it was more than 200,000 acres in Lake County alone oh wow over, went overnight wow overnight yes. yeah one really horrible bad freeze yeah that's just crazy. killed the trees literally yeah. Um, so when you got here and you kind of decided that you were going to do blueberries, was there, was the land still farmed or was it pretty much not being used at the time? And so you could start from scratch. I'm just wondering what the process was like for starting blueberries here. There were still some citrus groves here and we maintained them for a while, but it just wasn't tenable. Yeah. Um, We realized that we just had to let that go. Sure. Mm. And blueberries are a much more intensive form of agriculture. Citrus trees, you know, relatively um, 
carefree. They take care of themselves and right. compare them to blueberries. Blueberries mm-hmm. like to. Some of the farmers say they um, they look for a way to die as soon as you plant them, <laughs> put them in the ground. They're fussy little plants. Yeah. So being so fussy, when did you get your first yield from them? Was it the first year? Or does it take a while? It takes a couple of years. Does it? Okay. Yeah. But it's not like a like a citrus tree where it's you know usually four four years or so before you're harvesting. Right. That's so quicker. But it, it's a um, it's a bigger investment. There instead of maybe something in the range of a hundred plants per acre, they're close to two thousand plants per acre. So it's oh. a, um, that many more because of the size of them for sure. Right. So it, so a you know an acre of blueberries is a much more intense operation than an acre of citrus. Yeah. So I have a question about the um, the soil quality here. Whenever you first started, was it an organic um, citrus farm? Because most aren't, right? They use a lot of fertilizers. So how did you get the soil quality to where it needed to be? Kind of what was the process through that? That's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, originally, and this is something I think about from time to time, um, th- there was nothing but organic agriculture. So conventional agriculture mm. is kind of a new invention from, yeah. from the 40s and 50s. To try to mass uh, produce, to do more mass production. Right. The idea was that we were going to feed the world because we were going to grow with more technology. Mm. Right. Um, people, are, A lot of people are questioning that now. Instead, um, we made everyone sick. Yeah. You know, some people. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's a nice response when people say, uh, you know, when, when people are critical of organic agriculture. And if, once I hear enough and I lost my patience, I just say, well, I'm, I need to go back to to, to uh, my organic farming or as my grandfather used to say, farming. Farming. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> organic farming is really just farming. Yeah. So, the way the way it works now, if you if you if you're interested in organic farming and you want to prepare a piece of land to do that, um, if it hasn't been farmed before, you're eligible to start right away. If it has been a conventional farm and their substances have been used on that, which are not allowed under organic farming rules, then you have to go through a three-year transition period, mm-hmm. and that means that you need to treat the land as if you were. You have, to, you, know, you have to grow organically for three years before your crop can be considered organic. Yeah. So it's quite it's a it's a real commitment. We were most of the land that we're using and all of the land that we used for the blueberries um, had had last been used for citrus maybe ten years before that. So it had gone through that transition period. It had just been it had just been idle. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so when we started, we went straight into organic blueberry culture. Um, some other blueberry farms. They'll they'll treat them conventionally for a few years to get them established. Then yeah. they'll go through a three year period and then become organic. We decided we wanted to do that from the from the beginning. Yeah, and we've we've learned um, we learned from another sustainable farm how they you know prep the the soil and get it tested and see what kind of microbes you're. What are you supposed to have like a billion or something in a certain amount? <laughs> yeah, I don't we, I don't know numbers. I can't tell well, you, but I know it was a large <laughs> number in a very little amount of soil, and they had like eight of the good ones or something it was crazy so that's a very interesting um interview that we had um but you for farmers who are looking to do something like this you're part of an adv i can't say that word advocacy um movement may i say that can help people kind of go the right direction and that's called the real organic project can you tell us a little bit about that Sure. And it's, or a lot about it, whatever you well, want to yeah, do. I bet there's a lot. It's important. To, I think it's very important. So I'll talk about it as, you know, as long as, 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 you're, long as you're recording. <laughs> how, many, 
How much how data? Does, how much data is that? Card? I get a big hard drive. You can okay. <laughs> okay, let's start at the beginning. Uh, well, it was interesting you said that about the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Real Organic Project recognizes that soil is the key to organic agriculture. Yes, and um, that, and an illustration of the importance of good, healthy, fertile soil is is really um, found in the fact that we know so little about it. Yeah. There, we do know that in uh, a teaspoon, That's a teaspoon, yes, of fertile <laughs> soil, there are more microbes than there are humans on the planet. So that's eight billion some odd microbes. So you were right yeah. about your billions. I was billions. pretty low though. <laughs> well, like still billions. Billion. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Okay, that's oh, a that's lot what, that's of microbes. Sh- that's what it should be. That's, that's, what, it should that's be. what a healthy right. yeah. soil looks right. like. And here's something even to me even more interesting. So you have all these microbes in there, and um, if you talk to the PhD soil scientists, they will acknowledge to you that they can only identify somewhere between one and ten percent of those microbes. They cannot even identify the the other ninety percent. They don't even know what they are. They don't know what they are. They don't have now. They they know that some of them only exist in relationship to others. You take one away, the other one the other disappears. One yeah. Right. They they do know that there is an extraordinarily complex. Um, environment which which exists in healthy soil between and a relationship between the plant and the soil. Yes. So what we do know happens is that the plants have evolved over eons to make use of all of this biological activity that's going on the soil, and the root tips, the exudates of those of those root tips on those on the plants, they exude chemicals which yep. will. Uh, to which the microbes respond, and they will use the microbes to go out and recruit the minerals and the other substances they need in order to grow and to fend off any of their predators. Unbelievable. The analogy would be your brain, so synapses and neurons. There is an incredibly sophisticated system where, where these plants are sending out signals, the microbes are fetching, they're bringing what's needed back to the plant, and the plant uses it to to the level of um, of, of um, sophistication, where the plant will have a, a predator like a like a grasshopper, some invertebrate that's, yeah. that's that's eating the leaves, and um, and it it will go out and recruit what to, what it needs through the microbial system that it's around its roots, and create the chemo- the chemistry it needs to call for help. To call it right, or to mm-hmm. to fortify itself, to uh, to repel the the yeah. the, uh, the pest, and so so in we really don't know what we're doing in organic agriculture. A lot of times, it's like a universe, like a whole other universe. Exactly, really? it's a universe. Like like Horton hears a who, you know, on the head of the pin, and he and Horton the elephant hears that little noise, and then he realizes in the speck of dust, there's a yeah. whole universe. Right, and that's that's a re- that's really that's how I visualize it. Yeah, yeah. you know uh, what I love about that though is okay, so the the predator comes to eat on the leaf. It's going to get a little bit of food before that plant has what it needs to repel it. So it's it's a balance, right? So you let the, the insect eat a little bit and the plant takes care of it and then it moves on in, to another plant or whatever. So it's it creates its own balance if we just let it be, right? Yeah. Yes. And it's it, cool. And and this has been going on for eons. And, and, and evolving. And, and I yes. think a Not lot. That we understand it. We have been here but a blip. <laughs> and so so I think most capable organic farmers recognize how little they know. I know I do. I know nothing. 
What I've learned, though, is that if I can create a biologically active enough soil, if I have enough healthy soil out there, if there's enough, enough um, variety for the plant to choose from, it will take what it needs out of the healthy soil. It will create mm. what it needs to do. Uh, cool. It will take care of itself. Yeah. And that's it's a very different philosophy than than looking at a at a monoculture farm and saying, uh, okay, it's got this symptom. I'm going to put this treatment on it. Oh, now it's got a side effect uh, symptom. I'm going to treat it with something else. Now the synergy of those two chemicals has created a third problem. Now I need to put more of this on. And there can be a chemical treadmill that that farms get into. Mm. Um, in some ways, I think organic agriculture is a lot simpler. You have to watch the health of the soil, and then you and then you allow the plants to take care of themselves more. That is pretty cool. So not to get too philosophical here, but you know what all this reminds me of? It reminds me of medicine because I feel like in the healthcare industry, it's very similar where you get a medication, then you get a medication to cure the side effects of that medication. Then the medication that you're using for the side effect requires a third medication. Oh, you can go and, on and, and it's, on. It, it just reminds me of that, though, where it's uh, – it's um, it's almost like it sounds like antibiotics to me because when we talk about the non-organic farming, it reminds me of the way antibiotics in your body can destroy all the good stuff in your body. Yeah. It seems like pesticides, and we can get into that, and chemicals and all these things they do to treat an issue on a plant then kills the good stuff on the plant. And, you know, it's a, it's probably a debatable topic among yeah. some crowds, but... I feel like the treatment of plants in that way is what's leading to people getting sick from eating them. I, in the same way we don't understand that universe of microbes in the dirt, I don't think we understand what they're doing in your gut when you have the wrong, when you have almost the, man-made food. Yeah. You know. So or the I, energy I, that they're bringing into you. You know, you just right. get into the whole energy thing of what the food can bring to your body and if the energy is not lack of energy or... Yeah, we're, I don't think we're meant to control or even really know how to do all that. Yeah. I mean, you used to just eat food right. from the ground and you just knew you're going to be okay. Right. Right. Now you got to wonder how yeah. it was raised and what's right. in it and everything else. So, but, with the real organic project, how are you both involved in that? Because I did do went on the website a little bit and checked it out a little bit, and I saw you're listed on there, right? How did you become a part of that? Um, I know Hugh, you said that you've spoke at some of the um, events that they have. So, how are you guys involved in that? And how are you making those other farmers locally here or in Florida more aware of it and, and getting them to be a part of it? Well, we first learned about the Real Organic Project when we were up in Massachusetts visiting a friend of Hughes, and we were having lunch outside in this beautiful setting, and we started talking about organics and, you know, the, what we've been finding as, you know, troublesome trying to, yeah. <laughs> trying to maintain organic, yes. <laughs> Trying to maintain an, uh, you know, an organic farm. And she mentioned that her cousin, I believe, was heading up this real organic project. And we had not heard of it. It was, um, this was two years ago, I believe. Oh, this is how you were introduced to it. Yes. Okay. So she mentioned that her, um, her cousin was the director of the real organic project. And they had recognized the same things that, you know, we had. Mm -hmm. And we said, oh, well, we need to, we need to get in touch with this gentleman. And then Hugh, um, spoke with Dave Chapman. And the rest is history <laughs> that you talk about. Then you, that's it. Yes. They said, oh, yeah, we yeah. need you, buddy. Yes. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, 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 it's really interesting, Dan, you're talking about the uh, gut microbiotic community. And that's another uh, uh, barely understood complex system. So most of the cells mm -hmm. in your body are actually in your gut. 
that you were born with and they help you digest your food. And in my mind, it only stands to reason that since we've evolved over time with plants and soil and, and animals that eat plants and we eat them and so forth, that we have, we have evolved to have a very complex, biologically rich intestinal mm -hmm. system and, like um, there's a relationship there. Yeah, there's there a relationship. There. It just yeah. to me, it, it just makes sense that the <laughs> yeah. two belong together. And we uh -huh. we run into problems when we get arrogant about about this, and we say, well, we know better than Mother Nature does, and we can uh, we can produce a, a test tube food which is better for us right. than, than uh, something that's been around for a long time. And it makes I, you wonder if the that. term IBS was even a thing back in when you know at the turn of the century when people were just starting to do farmland and stuff here. You know. In a more, I shouldn't say just starting to, but people were farming in a way, as you said earlier, that was just just farming. farming. <laughs> it seriously makes me wonder, as a as a person that has had health issues like that in my life, I can't help but wonder. It's it seems like an epidemic. It seems like it's it's second nature it for a doctor now to just stamp that because they see it every day and they it's in everything we eat. And I think it's the lack of what we need being in the food that we eat and the addition of things that are causing problems in that complex system. And like you said, I think there, I think there's a lot of respect that um, you guys deserve when you say we don't understand it mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily need to understand it. It takes care of itself. If you just let it do its natural thing. And it's well put when you say the arrogance of us thinking that, you know, we can control it because again, like the healthcare system, I think that's, kind of how we're, we've gotten into the mess that we're in, you know? There's, so. I think you're absolutely right. And there's a, there's an undeniable problem. Just walk around the streets of the United States and, and, and ask yourself, is there, is our food system in healthy condition at the moment? Or have we got something seriously going wrong? And uh, I, I think yeah. we do. Yeah, I do too. And there, there, and what's, what, what uh, troubled me and why I got involved in the real organic project and, and their mission is that these are, these are the people who, um, started the organic movement. Um, if you look through the roster of people involved in mm -hmm. this project, it's the it's the elders of organic farming, and these are guys who are now in later life. They're yeah. um, and this has been their life's work, and they're livid because what's happening is um, the organic program has changed substantially over the last few years, and it's now uh, at least the way it affects me. The most profound thing is that they're they're allowing hydroponic um, uh, growing systems to be considered and labeled organic. And this is a very, very different way of growing. And I want to I make really clear, I'm not critical of it as a system. I think mm -hmm. these are some really innovative farmers. I respect it's what they're doing. It's just not organic. It's just that it's not organic. It's, right. it's antithetical to it. Yeah. And um, these guys up in, in the Northeast start, started the project. Um, they're, they're really upset, and understandably, because they are the ones who identified this way of growing where you value the soil and you grow healthy, you you create healthy soil or you foster healthy soil, steward healthy soil, mm -hmm. and that takes creates a healthy plant and that creates a healthy human being and, uh, um, and healthy communities. And we moved away from that and we're now growing something that's, in my mind, um, borderline artificial and it's not right. it's being done on an industrial scale and so it's not it's not good for farmers or smaller medium-sized farmers and it's not particularly good for communities i don't think yeah to have it's almost like they need a, third, ag. a third category because 
you know, you could argue that, okay, maybe there needs to be a new category for things that aren't hydroponic, but I would argue it's the other way around. The whole reason the founders created organic to begin with was to make it easier for a consumer to understand the difference between growing that's being manipulated and growing that is as natural as possible. And it, when, and again, I, I know you're not being critical of the hydroponics and, and really I'm not either, but I feel like some of these things are looking for a loophole so they can still be stamped organic and it's confusing consumers. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the hydroponic guys, um, you'll notice that they run from it. it. You don't see hydroponic on their labels. Exactly. They want to have USDA organic on their labels. Because it sells. And that, right, mm-hmm. exactly. And that, that does trouble me because I think you should, you should uh, stand on your own two feet if you think there are arguments that make uh, hydroponics a superior growing system. Um, whatever they are, right? Uh, then, then um, educate the public about right, it, and yeah. then promote your product that way. But instead, what we've got is this erosion of the organic standards, that, because that's what these large industrial organic agricultural farms want to have happen. Because then they can they can basically take the label, and it's an entirely different way of growing. Because, um, and for people who who aren't aware of what hydroponic means, it's basically uh, a growing system where the plant is receiving its nutrition. From a uh, from a liquid fertilizer uh, uh, bath, from a from a concoction, from a um, I don't know how to describe it, a soup of of uh, of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and trace trace minerals that um, that can grow the can grow the plant. There is not the same level of biological activity yeah. that you have that right. happens in a, in in a soil. fertile soil. Mm-hmm. There may be some. These guys like to claim that they have it because they put a little bit of you know, soil like medium in there, and then there may be yeah. some kind of interaction going on. But fundamentally, it's a it's a much more sterile system. Sure, yeah. and, and I'm sure it has its place. Like I'm sure there are some you know veggies that probably grow better that way. You know, in certain areas where something won't grow. Um, but I think you're right with the labeling. Like if you created something and it's growing good and you're proud of it then you should educate your consumers about what it is that they're getting. Because that's what's happened on the organic side. A lot of yeah. work was done into establishing what that means. A lot of research yeah. was done. A lot of um, information was gathered and shared. And I feel like it's kind of piggybacking. It's skipping the real work yeah. of showing if there are benefits to doing that, then they should be doing all the same work that everyone did to establish well, organic. Especially these ones that you said kind of established the real organic project and it's that was a lot of hard work that went into what is organic farming. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. so how are – so we know you said that those – that's the founders of the Real Organic Project are getting up there in years. How are they educating the community and educating younger farmers possibly so that they can keep keep this initiative up? Keep this ad, – ad, I can't say the word. I can't say the word. Advo- <laughs> Say it for me. I Advocacy? cannot say it. It's one of those yeah. words. I mean, is that part Advocacy? of what the real organic project is? <laughs> it, it, it's um. Yeah, is it educational? It, it, sure, there's okay. an educational element to it, um, but and there's an oversight element. There's a uh, they're they're critical of what has happened in enforcement of the organic regulations. So the regulations themselves are not um, in the eyes of the real organic project. They're not defective. It, the enforcement is defective. So the current United States Department of Agriculture, the NOP, which is the National Organic Program, which 
basically a shorthand for the rules, regulations, and the people who are in charge of enforcing them. That program is now allowing industrial um, container and hydroponic um, farms to label their produce as organic, not grown in soil, uh, grown in plastic containers or grown mm -hmm. in styrofoam containers and uh, grown in an entirely different way. So it's and not the definition of it and the sort of the, it's not so much a loophole in the definition of organic as it is the process being followed or policed properly is what I'm hearing. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's difficult what, to overcome. That's what you're, that's, that's why lobbying is disturbing to a lot of people. Sure. Um, the way our, our laws are being enforced sometimes. So there are, there are large agribusinesses which have, uh, actually I think Shelly Pingree, who's a, a representative from that part of the country, um, I listened to her speak at some point, and she said that uh, the agricultural lobbyist community spends more money in Washington lobbying than the defense industry does. So wow. This is, oh, wow. This is not a small group. This is a very influential yeah. group of people. Um, there are some huge uh, corporate agribusinesses mm -hmm. mainly located outside of this country now. A lot of, a lot of berry production. Yeah, especially a lot of stuff is that's Central and South America, mm -hmm. right? And... Um, and so they, they, uh, they've basically changed um, their interpretation of organic has gone from being a soil-based growing system to being anything that doesn't use prohibited chemicals. And yeah, so if you're not using pesticide, uh, pesticides, then you're automatically rubber-stamped organic in some ways. Right. And maybe that's something that we sort of gloss over and we expect everybody to know. There's really no way you... Anybody should yeah. know, should know this, but basically, organic means uh, means a couple of things. It means that first off, you are constrained in what you can treat your farm with chemically. Gotcha. And so, there's a list of uh, approved products and substances which you can which you can use, and everything else is is off the off the uh, off limits off limits exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are certifiers which go through your records and inspect your farm to make sure that you're only using approved chemicals, which you've, you've put into your farm plan with them that they've approved. And this is what we're going to use in our growing system. And they mm -hmm. say, okay, this enough, that's fine. Limit yourself to that. Um, and, uh, but that's only part of it. Uh, you're also expected to improve your soil. Yes. And so you're supposed to take We've it from the condition as when you start, right? It's supposed to, you're supposed to make it better and better. Mm -hmm. right. And then beyond that, there's also an expectation and an obligation to uh, have a plan and to carry out your plan to be a good steward of your farm. And that means not just what you're growing in your, in, you know, within the confines of your crop land, but also around it. So, for example, here we have a detailed plan, which Lisa's a big part of because this is her background, but to manage um, the the woods and the wetlands and the wildlife here, so that we're we're being active stewards to the best of our ability of the entire property. Yeah. And when people go out and they pay a premium to buy organic food, they aren't just getting good, clean, healthy food. They're also subsidizing or they're supporting a farmer who's treating his land well. Uh, this is very important. To that's us. a great one. That's a great uh, point to bring out, though. And so it's not just about the farm. 
Exactly. So when you see an industrial organic farm, which is hydroponic or some form of hydroponic, they're not necessarily living up to that standard at all. It's the, just about the farm, it, probably. Well, yeah. there's no, it's not even a, it's not about the soil because either there isn't any or it's very limited or yep. maybe right. con- contained in pots. Yeah, I suppose it's a good point. Define farm in that case. Yeah. Right. And then and then they a lot of these farms, at least in berry farms, they cover the ground in plastic. Yeah. So these are plastic pots grown on on plastic uh, ground cover. And, and plastic earth- has its own harmful right. chemicals yeah. that seep from it. So. So the stewardship of the soil and of the land and of what lives there in the, is is lost in that in that kind of process. So sure. It, so I was so you said something about Lisa's background a little bit and the stewardship of the the um, wildlife around here. What what's involved in that? Let's talk a little bit about that. So we have a management plan for the entire property. We have different zones based upon mm-hmm. the, the ecosystems that we have out here. Um, and some of it entails keeping the hardwoods, da- hardwoods down. Um, so Hugh does a lot of that work physically, physically and mechanically with some of the tractors and whatnot. Um, so we're trying to maintain the um, original ecosystems out here. And we've got some, we've got oh, listed cool. species. We've got, you know, gopher tortoises everywhere. We have sandhill cranes that come and forage. Is that something um, you guys kind of document and keep track of as well? We do. It's part of the organic systems plan that we submit oh. to the, our organic certifiers. So I have to ask so the, the techie question. How, do you do that with like cameras out there or how do you, is it just sightings? Yeah, is we it, bump into them. Yeah. Oh, is that what it oh, is? Exciting. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah, we're here that can is, be terrifying yeah. and exciting yeah. all at once, yeah. right? Yeah, there's there's everything from bears to turkeys to bobcats. Yeah. There's uh, uh, quite a bit of, quite a bit of activity. Out if here. I see a bobcat, I will have a heart attack because I would get so excited. Though, <laughs> oh. see, I don't even think I'd be scared. I just want to see one yeah. out in the wild. Like, but so, really. is that really what you do? I mean, you guys walk around and document when you see the wildlife, and that's kind of how you're measuring whether or not you're maintaining balance out there. Yeah, I mean, we have you know we walk the property daily. Sure, twice. A- twice a day <laughs> we sort of have a yeah. running running list in our head yeah. about you know what what's new and what's you know what we haven't seen out here before oh, cool. oh, but we do, yeah we do have a list that we maintain for for the certifier so it's in our and it's you in keep an excel plan. spreadsheet like what yes. do you do this yep, is what exactly. daniel would ask <laughs> well i guess you know what aside from the nerd factor i was hoping you said oh there's cameras everywhere yeah. but well that would be cool <laughs> But the um, yes, we monitor from the yeah, from but, the office. Right. I guess what I thought was well, I meant you know you could go through and then see exact patterns or whatever. But mm-hmm. you probably still do that. And what's cool to me is mm-hmm. you guys are keeping sort of a relationship with the land by walking the land every day. Um, you're it's good for you. You know, you're out getting exercise yeah. and fresh air. We always say farmers are going to live forever. And we do, but you're but you're mm-hmm. also being mentally aware you're not just walking in the woods you're you're being mentally aware of what you see and kind of um almost like a doctor checking on the patient to make sure everything seems healthy mm-hmm. yeah right? it's interesting mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting you say that but for, i we got to respond to what you said about the cameras and that's it's really a good idea we need to get some wildlife yeah. cameras out they're so sophisticated just, now we I'm can happy to help yeah. when you're oh, good. Ready. Oh, good good yeah, yeah. yeah. Course. he has all the advice right. on that <laughs> but there's a um when you when you have enough uh when you or when you make enough time to um to look carefully at what lives on your property. It's fascinating. Oh, of course. Mm. And this is not in large pieces of land also. It, it, it works this way, in my experience, in very small pieces too. If you, if you go out and you, uh, and you take a look in the 
you know, around the corner of your house somewhere or, you know, where the hose connects to your house or there's some water and you know, whatever. There are a lot of the same individual characters that you'll find live in particular parts of your property and you get to know them after a while. You yeah. say, well, mm. yeah, I, I know that frog. That frog always over here. And that, yeah. they, you know, that animal, he's usually over here. Yeah. And we there's know a where spider all the ants that, are in our yard. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a bunch of ant lions by our water spigot yeah. over there. Yeah. We, yeah, I know exactly. So That's, I, it's I grew up working in greenhouses for, um, you know, like uh, the indoor outdoor foliage. You know, this that was real popular. Yes. Uh, Apopka was the foliage capital of the world, may still be. But I remember as a teenager working in those greenhouses, knowing where the worms were or the lizards or the snakes or the same yeah. kind of thing where they, they are, there is a, a segment of land where they seem to be more, more of a certain thing. It's like, I don't know why I never really thought about it, but I just knew when you go to the peat pile, there's the ant lions or yeah. there's the whatever. So that's interesting. I guess you could find. That even in your own backyard, even if you have a little yeah. quarter acre or something, yeah, you know what kind of birds hang out. Yeah. Or so you exactly. you get you you can make a relationship with your land no matter where you are. Ours is stray cats. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. and a coyote. <laughs> it wanders around every once in a while. You guys have those as well. You were saying we do. Yes, yeah. we hear them often, but they don't. Yeah, they don't come around the house too much. I think the dog scares them. I think the cat, the cat the scares them. Well, oh, maybe. Very no, strange so. cat. <laughs> so I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here. It's, it's fascinating to me about the organic. Uh, I know. I told you we could be here for three hours really talking could. about that. And what we'll do also in the show notes is I want to look up some things. And I, I think I'd like to understand the difference. I, I think it would be neat to find some information that points out the difference between organic and hydroponic and things like that. The real for the show uh, notes. organic project. Does that Sorry. have that listed yeah, there as well? A, I didn't read all of it because I wanted to be surprised, but there's a lot of information. Okay. On so I'll yeah. find some of those articles and put links in the show notes about that. I think it's fascinating to me to, you know, Angie and I try to eat organic. We try to eat pasture raised when we eat meat and we try to buy local as much yeah, as Yeah, we possible. try to buy local mm-hmm. And we, we don't always do it because it's not, it's difficult. But I think um, when I hear you guys talk about what organic really means, I, to me, there is no question. To me, it's, um, it's almost obvious when you talk about the relationship between the plant and the ground and um, the food in your stomach. And it just, it seems so obvious, you know, something that I guess most of us never really think about or even know about. And we're almost being tricked into staying yeah. stupid about it just because yeah. it's you know that's part of and you know big what companies you know? something else was interesting that we learned when we um learned a little bit about the soil quality and stuff like that is it's not just about um okay you you have your blueberries and you're just gonna let the soil do what it does to have a healthy soil you want certain weeds there's certain types of plants that you actually want growing in the ground and you don't want to pluck it out because what was the one that um, John and Carrie were telling us there's like some kind of radish or something that grows and it brings up the different because um, it breaks through the um, there's a certain kind of radish this was up in North Carolina yeah, but up in North Carolina it breaks through some of the harder soil the Gets roots down to and it brings up some up of the, the good, good microbes stuff. so I thought that was really interesting because normally it's a weedy looking thing and you mm. would pluck it right out of your your ground and be like that's ugly I don't want that in there yeah but you leave those they're growing everywhere because they're making the soil healthier yeah. and I thought and I'm sure that's kind of the same with yours you see certain weeds that maybe uh 
are or a little invasive plants. that yeah. you know are going to do harm, and there's some that you're leaving, correct? And there, there's yes. a plant called hairy indigo, and I'll turn it over to Lisa to identify it scientifically because I don't. Speak What's Latin. the Latin name? What is Latin for <laughs> hairy indigo? Indigofera hirsuta. Oh, indigofera hirsuta. <laughs> So the indigofera is it hirsuta is a nitrogen fixing plant. So it will mm-hmm. take nitrogen out of the air and has nodules underground where where it'll it'll fix nitrogen into the soil from the air. That's so that's amazing. obviously a health a very helpful thing because nitrogen is one of the building blocks for plant life. And you you uh, instead of putting out as much uh, nitrogen from other sources onto your soil, you can you can uh, use plants such as that. Yeah. Wow. And a lot What's of what an we do is example of a. a- a bad one, a bad weed that would maybe harm blueberries specifically. Oh, there's a lot of bad, there is a lot of a lot them. Of well, there, a lot of them are invasive. There are a lot of African grasses that are here now. Yeah, we have Incentions. a lot of the invasive species yes. here. You know, just that are taking over these ecosystems, right? Maybe that's why historically it wasn't so challenging to just have regular farming, or now as we call now organic farming, because you didn't have all these intrusive species because the they're not native to the land to begin with. Right. Yeah, it's gotten a lot challenge. worse for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, as I started to say earlier, I'm going to change gears a little bit here because I, I want to talk about just the day-to-day life on the farm. I'm who sorry. Wor- who works on Oh, go ahead. Can I go back to one thing? Sure. Yeah. I want to put it, I want to uh, just f- finish up with the Real Organic Project. Sure. And to let you know that uh, there is a label now. It's an add-on label. So the, the United States, uh, the USDA organic label is familiar to a lot of people. It's that circle yep. with the abstract um, mm-hmm. farm field on it. It says USDA organic. Um, the real organic label is uh, um, identifies uh, farms and, and produce that has been grown in uh, compliance with the real organic requirements as well as the USDA organic oh. requirements. So where the USDA... Organic label now allows hydroponics, for example. Um, the Real Organic Project does not, and it's, okay. it's it emphasizes the soil, and that's probably the biggest the biggest break that they have with the with the USDA mm. is they're saying no, no, we we're, we're not allowing hydroponics, and there's also some animal welfare standards which have been relaxed by the USDA, and I'll give you an example: organic chicken egg, organic chicken eggs. Um, if you buy those on the shelf and you think, well, there must be some um, pretty decent um, animal welfare standards that go along with being able to call it organic. It's not true, um, at least in my mind, because the current standard now is three chickens per square foot in a confined facility. So they're on top of each other still. Yes. Square foot. And this yes. is this is when you buy an organic egg. That's that's uh, that's all you're insuring. You can go up to three chickens per square foot. So so what you just no, said. No, thank you. you I what, need to know where my chicken eggs come from. So Real, Real Organic Project <laughs> keeps an eye on that kind of thing. Oh, that's also, great. Feedlot feedlot organic yeah, dairy. The cattle, yeah, the dairy. So they uh, that you're now allowed to use uh, CAFOs, concentrated area feeding operations, in producing organic milk and cheese and and yogurt and so forth. Real Organic Project um, farms are not allowed to do that. They have to be out on pasture. So, so there will be look- a specific marking on products that yeah. are approved by both? C- correct. The organic, the people that are passionate about true organic growing or... They're uh, still fighting, basically. <laughs> well, you, they had to introduce a new, a whole new uh, uh, label. label and a whole new yeah. set of specifications because the rules have wiggled so loose mm-hmm. on organic you almost have had to redefine what 
it meant to begin with. And I hate to say it, but I feel like that's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be more cor- big corporations that come in and you're, it's going to be a constant fight. But the yeah. people that are passionate about it are going to continue to fight that sure. fight and to continue to educate those who are wanting to um, do the responsible thing. Right. Absolutely. But it, it is a little more desperate than that. And I don't know if there always will be people there to fight it because this is oh. when when farms and small and medium sized farms go out of business, they don't usually come back. That's true. They don't, That's they true. don't have they're not passing it down. They don't, they don't yeah. have the resources they to fight have, it. There's a lot of capital that goes into this establishing a farm and then if it goes if it goes out and then the rules change to protect them or as they late. should have been in the first place, they're not gonna come back and recreate yeah. the they, farm again. It's too late. Yeah. Right? Oh wow. So okay. even a temporary perversion of the regulations is going to hurt enough of these farms to, to force people to so go into other lines sustain. of work. Yeah. Know, they're just not going to do that. Anymore. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, that is a bummer for everybody in the long run. Yeah. Really. So I love that yeah. the real organic label is kind of doing what I was saying earlier, and that is redefining what organic was supposed to mean to begin with. So we'd love to share that. Um, we'll put a link in the show yeah. notes about the real organic project. And if we can get a copy of the label, we'd love to, you know, we'll post, post some information about that as well. Spread the word however we can, whatever Excellent. we can do. So yeah, that, that's here. really interesting because when I go to a store yep. and I say, I'd like you to carry my organic blueberries. And they say, well, we can get them from Mexico cheaper or California cheaper or Florida cheaper. They're grown in these pots. They're, ba- they're hydroponic. Sure. They're grown in containers. You have and, to educate. And I say, right. And I say, well, but mine are really organic. They're grown in soil. And they say, well, but we can't have somebody – standing in our produce department explaining the difference. Exactly. Why is this organic one more expensive than this organic one? Well, it's, it's worth it, and here's why. They can't do that. Of course. So it's yeah. really it's important for us to be able to distinguish it in the marketplace and to be able to go in yeah. and say, of course. Here, and that's that's part of what the Real Organic Project is about and yeah. why the label is important. It makes sense. And I think as I talk about um, you know how the – and I hate for it to sound so nefarious, but I feel like it is. It's a game they're trying to trick consumers, and I love that you guys were able to call it real organic because that's the difference. One of them is organic, and one of them is real organic. And it starts making the term organic mean less and less, sadly, but you know. um, So do you guys sell to a lot of local... um, I don't know if there's a lot of local little farmers market type places around here, but I know there's one in Winter Garden that we love. It's called the Pharmacy, mm-hmm. and I didn't know if you network with them. Um, we're great co- couple that runs that place, little family owned business. So. They're very passionate about. Yeah, yeah. it's a great yeah. little store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Yeah, we're, we're we we're a little bit caught in between. We we'd love to do that. Our our challenge is that we're a wholesaler. We're we're yeah. we're too big to support this farm. Um, um, by by selling in small quantities, we really sure. have to sell the stores. That's yeah. that's that's um, encouraging to me in a strange way because it means that not only are you really organic, but you're producing a lot of yeah. what you're selling. So so it's making more of a difference in terms of our health. Really, is what I'm getting yeah. at. For the people we, that are, we really think organic should be. We should be able to do it in this country on a commercial scale. We don't think it should be just people that are supplying their neighbors. We should be able to, as eaters, we believe, yeah. Lisa and I would like to be able to go out and buy high-quality food. We think food is way too cheap in this country. It is. We think good food is worth it. It's cheaper than doctor's bills. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we'd, we'd like to, we'd like to uh, have a lot more choices when we, we go shopping also. And um, we have the land to do it. We do. You know, we, we do have do. the well, land to do and it and do it right. You said you think you should be able to, but you're proving that you can 
Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. We, we don't know what kind of response we're going to get from the uh, from the larger, more influential people if they don't like uh, they don't like the criticism. Well, they mm-hmm. won't. But you know, it's it's, a, <laughs> it's either all about money or it's about making a living and also doing the right thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, and I think uh, uh, it's about integrity. And mm-hmm. in my mind, it's a little bit like the development project. I, there's a better way to do this. Yeah, and and uh, that's what I wanted to do when I started farming. I wanted I, it really was not a wasn't too tough a decision for us. We, we, we knew we wanted to do it this way. We think it's a better way to farm. We think it's easier on the land. We think it's better for people. Yeah. Well, what you just said, too, is and that's huge to me. It's like when we started changing the way we eat, you can either pay for it in the food mm-hmm. or at the doctor's. Mm-hmm. However you want to do it, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. Yeah. You know. In and one way, is going to be way better. You're going to have a much better life. <laughs> yeah. Your quality better. of life. Yes. Yeah, your oh, food will actually those, taste those, good. Those pills taste horrible. Uh, yeah. we'll take, not break just, them up and eat them. Right. <laughs> not just a medicine, but as we have been working to eat more and more organic produce, once you start getting used to it, you guys know that you can know, attest to this, but it doesn't even taste like food when you go buy the other stuff anymore. So yeah, huge when, difference. When you um, eat a tomato off you know, my mom's plant in her yard and then- you can't even buy them from. We don't even buy them from the store. There's they no don't sense. taste. There's no taste. It's just like paper, like water, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no flavor at all. So it's like you go out to eat and you're like, and I, and this I do, is like pale. Yeah, like, I, why I, am I eating this? <laughs> I do think there's a reason your body responds that way because your body knows what it needs to be it healthy. Does. Sure. And so you're you're responding to the nutrient density in that food. Mm-hmm. And um, th- this talking is, my language right now, yeah, so. <laughs> Anthony, yeah, Anthony. Angie's a health and wellness coach, so she's all you say about nutrient density. And most people are like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, yes, somebody knows what that means. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears a little bit and kind of gear it down for a minute. And just talk about day to day life on the farm out here. Um, it's beautiful farm out here. I think I said oh, at the beginning so of the interview. Who helps on the farm out here? Is this is it family? Do you have people that work on the farm as uh, just part of the company? Yeah, some families still, you know, uh, blind enough to come down here and, <laughs> and think they're going to vacation. But yeah. Mom- well, the first time we came, we met um, Lisa was out with her mom, Shirley, selling yeah. blueberries and oh, yes. gave us the little yeah. tour and everything. Yes. You we, were out doing the hard work, see? Yeah. They were under the tent. <laughs> well, every year we tell them we're going to double their, and we have, we've doubled their pay every year, year we over have. year after year. They get nothing and they then we double it. Still get nothing. <laughs> Nice. That's amazing. But you also <laughs> That's what have family's supposed to do for each other. That's though, true. Right? It's very generous of them for sure. <laughs> yes. If you're have... listening, Steve and Shirley, we, we do appreciate it. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, but you also have employees as well, right? Yes. Like just regular employees that work. Because so you have a section of the farm out here that is sort of for the public to come pick. And then you have the larger section, unbeknownst to me from the last time we were here. We saw the aerial picture though. So now right. we know there's a ton. That's where most <laughs> of the farming is actually yes, done. Yes. All right. That's where, that's where um, yeah, that's where uh, I go and hide when the <laughs> U-Pick starts. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so let's talk about that for a minute. So when do, can people start coming to do the picking? We haven't set the opening date this year, but typically our harvest is um, April and May. Okay. And of course, that's weather dependent. Of course. Um, I think this year we were looking at maybe mid-April and then probably extending through the end of May, maybe beginning of June. 
Okay. Well, yes, you guys typically will on the it. weekends. Yes. Yeah. yes. Let us know as soon as you. Well, we'll keep we'll keep checking the website too, so that yeah. we can. And we also have, if you go to the website, we do have a newsletter you can sign up for. Yeah. And then I just I typically just send the you pick emails to announce when we're going to be on. Right. Yeah. We don't inundate people with sure um, information. Yeah. There's but... a fine line, isn't there? We talked yes. about that the other day. Yes. Where how you know, much should we post? How much should you? How much should you advertise <laughs> before they're like? I'm never coming there because you're driving me crazy. Yeah. I don't want to listen to it's all fine and dandy anymore because they post five times a day. Like, <laughs> so, Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about how how does that whole thing work? We know, but I'd love for you to tell our audience how it works. Um, so, when we're open, we typically open on the weekends, Saturdays right. and Sundays. Sometimes during the during the week, but that's really dependent upon the weather and, yeah. and what the crop that's is doing out there. Wonderful Florida weather that yes. I love so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we um, we have a nice parking area. We have a tent. Uh, we give um, the folks who come out bucket with uh, lined with like a um, compostable plastic bag. And then we send you out into the field and let you know which areas are open for picking. And and it's so fun. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's re- it, the, the you pick field is a really yeah. nice field. The pictures field. are amazing. Yeah. Yes. You set and it up so that it's, yeah, visually just, it's it's beautiful. So speaking of visually, I know a lot of photographers and they um, rent space in like the the peach blossom mm-hmm. um in umatilla uh, grams yes right um and there's some other places where they actually rent space to come out and take pictures have you guys thought about that for the blueberry field we've done it a couple we've done it a, oh, okay. a little bit so also during the spring we have um, um wildflowers at it right at oh, the entrance gosh, that yes. coreopsis and flocks and it's just it's beautiful so we let you know the people who come out to pick in the field if you know if you want to if you want to park and then take some pictures in the field just for yourself right no problem but usually we have um if you're going to do it for you know profit if you're a professional photographer they usually Mm -hmm. get in touch with me in advance and we organize a time and a fee and and go from there of course yeah Yeah, we we know some photographers professional photographers in the area that i'm sure would be interested in the wildflowers yeah because when they're blooming it's beautiful it is very beautiful so people do they come out they pick they put them in the bucket they come back you weigh them them. yep sell them by the pound or whatever yes and you have some pre-packaged too that they can Take yeah, them. typically we do. Uh, last year we just did um, bulk packages for the pre-picked, and it's five pound five pound boxes, mm-hmm. right. and um, they last forever. We had a five pound box in our fridge, freshly picked, and they lasted six weeks. That's the difference. I know between the organic and yeah. <laughs> you know they it don't is last the forever in our house. No, they don't last forever. <laughs> in our- this year I have to freeze some though because. I like them, you know, everybody, you'd like them fresh better, of course. Yes. Yeah. So yes. we just eat them up. But I've got to freeze some because I love them in my smoothies and oatmeal and it's yes. my favorite berry. Yes. Yeah. Even though you would think it's strawberries since I like to say, come and pick your strawberries <laughs> at the blueberry farm. The, the commercial we did out here it's last ridiculous. year, like four times in four a row. Takes. She said, Pick your strawberries. strawberries. After we all laughed about it and then got back into place and did it again, she said it again. Yeah. As we're pulling in your driveway and she's recording for like a, like a vlog, like a Facebook Live kind of thing. We're pulling in now to meet with... And then she says, and we're coming out here to pick, to learn how you can pick strawberry. I'm like, she just what did you say? <laughs> I'm like, this is unbelievable. Come on, Angie. The, co- the color gives them away. <laughs> <I know. laughs> They're blue. We were literally last time. This, the is, this is how dorky it's I am. mentally in my head now. It's always there. This is how dorky we are. So last time we came out here to, to do this, we all wore blue. And we're all so wearing right. blue with blueberries in our hands. And she kept saying strawberries. I did. I did it anyway. <laughs> So I have a question. Um, what have you guys learned about yourself since starting this farm? 
It's a deep question, isn't it? Dead, dead silence. <laughs> dead, dead air. Dead air for half an hour. You're staring into space. Have you, did you? Do you have more patience now? Mm. Like, is there anything that you have just? I know it's a hard one. I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna have a. I read this question and I said, "This is the this is a great question." I was just thinking. A, I was just thinking. This is when they should have given us an advance. Don't you think? <laughs> These are the ones. But this is what edited, you know, this is what's good about editing. You can actually think about it. (laughs) It'll seem like you just immediately answered this when we did That's exactly what it will sound like, yes. Well, I think I've been surprised mostly by the the people who come out to to the UPIC. There have been a lot of people who travel hours, several, because we're the only organic UPIC place and they're knowledgeable. And they they want good food, yes. and they appreciate what you know what we've been doing out here. And um, I think I, I was I was surprised by that that people you know will travel an hour hour and a half to come. Yeah, pick, yeah. and they want blueberries. the experience too. You know, they they love supporting their local you know yeah. family farms, but it's an experience when you come out and you get to touch the food that you're taking home to put in your you know putting your meals there's something yeah. about it plus i would think it's like-minded people if they're willing yes. to drive that mm-hmm. far yes. for true organic i mean when we posted about um last year or whatever year we mm-hmm. came out here two years ago i think it was that was, was last, it last year, year? okay it was yeah. last year because yeah. we were um, just starting the podcast or yes. telling her oh, okay. she, we were about to yeah, yeah. and uh i posted something about does anybody know where we can get um, local organic blueberries and all of these people are posting farms and they're like, I don't know if it's organic mm-hmm. though. And they weren't. Right. So that tells you if people are willing to drive two and three hours to come here, it seems to me that one of the nice things about that is you're meeting like-minded people that truly think it's important, you know, in the same way that you guys have gone to all this extra work, you know, cause let's face it, it would probably be easier just to not be organic. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yes. If you, yeah. if it wasn't important to you to do it the right way. Do you find a lot of people find you just because of your sign out there or is are you doing some other type of marketing or is it word of mouth? How are people finding you? Well, they're wholesale, oh. so it doesn't matter as much, right? Uh, yeah, but for the what we were thinking about um um how how much we would value somebody who really knows what they're doing with social media. So if you're out there, <laughs> if you're, you're out good there. at social media. Yes, we you, do. We do Facebook posts, but I'm not great at it. I don't we, do we, it. We've been for looking myself. online to find freelance uh, people yeah. who do the <laughs> yeah. know, social media stuff for sure. Well, that is a challenge. I will tell you because I have been trying to take over the reins a little bit on that because you know he works so much at his day job. So I've been trying to do the social media posting. Yeah. You want to be creative and you want, but not do it too much, you know? So there's like this balance that you have to learn and then you have to remember to actually do it. So I have all these notes and he's like, did you make the post? I'm like, ah, crap, I didn't make it today. So, but I'm gonna, I swear, (laughs) you know? So there is like this, that's a whole nother job. That's why you do. And and when to do like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, it seems like would be Mm -hmm. huge for out here. Yeah. Because it's picturesque. And a lot of businesses are not picturesque, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and then Twitter. Twitter, Twitter is one that we still... I'm an IT director for a large engineering firm, and I still don't quite get Twitter because it seems like it's a valuable tool for big companies and celebrities, but a lot of people tweet, and then no one's reading them. You can go look and see. There's no... You know, they call yeah. it tweeting to the void. So, unless you happen to hook on to some trending topic, 
that's a, that's one I struggle with myself for our, all of our businesses, you know, on how to do that. But there's a trick to it. That yeah. When you get just the right recipe with the YouTube and the Facebook yeah. and the Instagram, it starts, you yeah. know, perpetuating kind of. All right. I don't want to let Hugh off the hook. Did you think of something? That you learned about yourself? Oh, well, if not, we can now, skip yeah, it. I just, want to, I just want to point out, Lisa had talked nothing about what, what she learned about herself. It was just what she learned about people who came to the farm. She did. I did catch that. She just, she just deflected she just the question. Now, I'm sure you guys were very hard workers before, but have, has running the farm shown you how hard of workers you actually are? Because, let's face it, this is a morning to nighttime job, right? Dust to dawn. I also think, though, if you're pat, when you have a passion, this is what I tell my kids. You know, I have told my kid. You said you were an attorney before, so I've told my kids as my son's just now graduated high school. Maybe it's it's a little bit unorthodox and more liberal as a parent, but I've told them to to find the thing that you really love. Don't. It doesn't matter if it makes hardly any money or if it makes you rich, because. I truly believe mm-hmm. that if you're passionate about it, you're going to be really good at it and you're going to be very successful no matter what it is. If you're, if you're passionate about digging holes, you'll end up owning a digging hole company. You know, it's a silly analogy, but it, yeah. you know, I think there was generations where we were told, go become this, go become that, go do this. And if you're passionate about those things, great. But how many people are in jobs now making good money for things they don't like doing? And I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather them do what they love. And I, this is when, when you guys are talking about this, you can tell it's something that you care about. And I, I so I don't know if that matters as far as how hard you can, you know, Angie said, have you, That's true. have you pushed yourselves and have you found how, how hard you can really work? But in my mind, it seems like if you're passionate about it, it's, it changes it maybe. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think so. Um, and, um, I, I have, a. I think back about what my uncle Hugh that I'm named for used to say when he farmed in New Hampshire, he would, he would tell his kids, he'd say, uh, it's, it's not the best way to make a living, but it's the best way of life I know of. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that here every day. Oh, I love I, that. I do have some time to, uh, I do have some time to spend outside every day. And some of it's in the blue, most of it's in the blue ray field. Some of it's in other parts of the land here. And, um, that for me, that's, um, it's peaceful, it's, it's healthy, it's satisfying. It's, um, it's a connection that, that makes me feel good. I like, I'm yeah. just someone who's, who feels more of a connection to, uh, the natural world, you know, um, don't spend a whole lot of time in church, but, um, get my religion when the sun comes up sure. and, mm-hmm. on the farm. Yeah. Yeah. That's and the first thing Dan said when we came out here. He said, oh my gosh, it's so peaceful out here. So as someone who lives around computers and gadgets and all that stuff, and I love that stuff, but I, I can truly appreciate what you mean when you say the connection with the land and the and being outside and stuff, because I honestly believe that people that do that kind of stuff daily are going to live longer yeah. than maybe those of us that are sitting in a room of technology every day. Um, I feel like... and. This could be me, me, Bill, not, uh, me being a little naive about this, but I feel like um, there's an inherent stress level in your body that is somehow reduced by being on out in the land. There's science behind that, baby. Yeah, science. Well, I can feel it though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can. There's a called those negative ions in the air. There's just it's yeah. That's that's a real thing. I believe it. Well, guys, thank you so much for this. Thank yes, you. thank this you. This was wonderful. It has been. We are we love to support 
local businesses. And you know we will be telling everybody, go get your blueberries, go get your blueberries. And, and not just for that, but for the experience. And I'm so happy that our audience gets to hear why buying real organic is so important. And it, it's more than just even the way it tastes. You're supporting families that this is what they're choosing to do for their livelihood. So, And from uh, my perspective, it's how your body's meant to operate. You know, that's yeah. more than any of it. It's uh, it's something that I feel like we've lost as we get more and more industrialized and commercial. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's a winning battle or a losing battle that you're fighting, but I think it's the right battle. Yeah. So thank you guys for sitting and talking to us today. This has been great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the information station. Hi, this is Sheila, the Kitchen Chandler, and you're listening to It's All Fine and Dangy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Information Station. We hope you enjoyed that very informative and interesting interview with Hugh and Lisa Kent. That was Pretty amazing. I learned a lot during that sit down with them. I did too, and it was it was really fun. I uh, I learned a lot. It was really fun. They were very interesting and fun, and uh, we hope they continue to have uh, great success. The the um, sort of we talk about sometimes the power of intention. Yes, and I think the power of intention as far as what they're trying to do, the right thing as far as food goes. I think it's it will contribute to their continued yeah. success. And what I love too is that they are um, offering the community a chance to come out and take part in it by coming and picking your very own fresh blueberries, We're gonna not say strawberries. strawberries. <laughs> Everybody knows. I like to say pick can fresh, I tell you? Blue, fresh strawberries can, instead of blueberries. Can I tell you Don't the truth? Why. It's rubbing off because when I was writing <laughs> the post today that I did on Instagram that said, about organic blueberries or whatever, I started to type the word strawberries. Oh my gosh. They really talked about some very interesting things that get you thinking. And one of the things I thought was so cool was when he um, when he was talking about the, the soil life, yeah. right? I just thought that was really interesting. Oh, the, the microorganisms? Yeah, the environment. Like it's this whole little solar system kind of living underneath our feet. You know what I mean? Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And and um, I think we talked about this, but, you know, like one teaspoon of healthy, productive soil, you know, that hasn't been depleted of its nutrients and, you know, over farmed has anywhere between a hundred million and a billion bacteria in a tiny little teaspoon. Wow. Isn't that, that is crazy? crazy. I mean, some of the bacteria can be bad bacteria that could maybe cause some harm to certain roots and stuff, but most of them do their job, right? Yeah. And um, bring health and really life to the soil, which I just thought was so cool. And so I looked up a little info on that. And let me tell you, you got to, you know, be careful when you're looking stuff up just because we always want to make sure it comes from like a credible source. So there's a lot of research and um, studies that have been done testing the soil and stuff. So, I'll re- you know, we'll put a few of those in the, the notes on our website so that you can l- do all the reading yourself because there's a lot of reading to do when it comes to it. Yeah, there is. I mean, but it's really cool. But one of the things I thought was interesting is that most of the bacteria that are actually in that soil, so most of that large number that we just talked about in the, you know, a billion, um, most of those, um, are actually decomposers. So they take the matter, you know, the, 
um, old plant life, whatever it may be, and they actually decompose. And we know that when we see plants, plant matter decompose, that makes for like good mulch and you can, you know, that means it's fertile. Yeah. So that's what you want to look for. But um, yeah, so most are decomposers. Some actually help to break down pesticides or other pollutants that are actually in the soil. Oh, really? Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, now is it is it microorganisms that also come to help? One of the most fascinating things that Hugh mentioned to me, or mentioned to us, that I thought was so interesting, though, was he was saying that when a plant is under attack, that it will call for, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of paraphrasing, is is it microorganisms that it's calling for? Yeah, the microorganisms can be bacteria, f- fungi, how, how do we say it? Fungi, 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 fun, fun, yeah. Fungi. L- little fungi. Yep. There, you can say it all those different ways. Sure. We learned that this past weekend. But um, yeah, they actually help to keep the nutrients in the soil. Right. But something he was talking about, which they've just tapped the surface of as I far know. as research. I looked all over the place online for this. It's interesting that plants or roots will actually, like you said, when they're when they need a nutrient or they're being attacked maybe by an, a harmful bacteria, they'll kind of give the signal out to the soil in the soil saying, hey, we need help or, you know, we need this nutrient because we're being deprived. Well, there are things that it can call for that. So I I guess I was almost making it sound like they call for something that comes and attacks, but it's more of a protect, like a protective microorganism, right? Yeah. Or if they need a certain nutrient, they send out a message saying, hey, I need this. We don't know how far those microorganisms come from or go to to get the nutrient. That is the coolest part And bring it back to the plant. Yeah, it's like a mystery. It's like Avatar, dude. It's like everything's connected. It's amazing. (laughs) That reminds me of the mushroom guy, but we'll talk about him on another episode. Yeah. Um, Because something else, too, is that, you know, some... Most of these bacteria, or some of them, have um, partnerships, like that symbiotic relationship with yeah. a certain plant. So yep. you'll find a certain bacteria near a certain plant. Yep. Or certain bacteria won't go near a certain plant's sure. roots because maybe it's to- it doesn't like it right. or it's toxic to yeah. it. So I just that's just so cool to me. It is to me too. You know. So you know those ones that have that symbiotic relationship, they provide what the plant needs. Yeah. Or they protect it. Right. And so that's just, that's why it's important when we're building our garden to figure out, okay, what plants work together, what kind of bacteria do you want in your soil? What don't you want to see in there? It's just. Oh, I love that. so fascinating. And instead of pesticides, and you guys should see this thing that Angie drew out with a, that Angie drew out with a pen. Um, I like drawing on paper sometimes. I know. I'm just giving you grief. And then you you will convert it to the pretty little thing that I say, yep, I want it. And then we have to make it. (laughs) I will nerd out. I will put it in a 3D (laughs) rendering that you can put on the goggles and see. But but, um, the same way we did the kitchen. But uh, anyway, but Angie's drawing like plants around the garden and I want a a pond on one side and I want to do this. And it's so interesting how you can border your garden with certain plants to protect. You can uh, put ladybugs and things like that in mm-hmm. your garden that are a natural way to protect. Yeah, you can water them from a pond. We're going to do a little a little pond. Are we going to put fish in the pond? Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Yeah, because you put fish in the pond so that they eat the mosquito larvae that may drop into oh, the pond. Okay, so you're feeding them. Then I put little plants in the pond so that helps as well. Does the this is going to be a silly question because I think the answer is yes, but does the um, the waste from the fish, mm-hmm. does that contribute to the, the microorganisms in the garden? 
And like, if you're taking water from the, is it the water in the pond that you're pumping into the yeah garden? Yeah. So I just wondered. The poo. Yeah. I just you've heard of if, like aqua. Um, Aquafina? No. Aquaman? Is it called aquaponics? Where they use the fish at the bottom. That's it's not hydroponics. It's where they it's aquaponics. Yes, I believe like it. The fish are at the bottom. Yeah, and the fish provide the the waste. fertilizer yeah. and the waste, the food, and and the roots eat it up, and they eat some of the roots. Right, and, is that kind of what we're doing with that pond? Yeah. Oh, that sounds so you know. cool. I mean, we'll use regular. You know, I got so many ideas oh. for back there. It's just it's too be much. Pretty crazy. Are you going to have like the? We're getting older, so we have four thousand yard ornaments now. No, I don't want a lot of yard. Okay. I want okay. food in our backyard. Yeah. I want us to plant things that are that can Edible. provide for us. Very yes. nice. So that is really what I want our backyard to come. There's this cool study. There was this cool thing I read on Washington Post, though, I think it was, where um, there's a way for you to test the fertility or the liveliness of your soil, right. right? The health of your soil. You can take cotton underwear and plant like men's brief underwear. No. And plant them two to four inches down in your soil. New? Yeah. Brand okay. new underwear. I mean, you could do old ones if you want to. They're a little more worn. It might contaminate this test. No. And leave a, leave like, you know, mark them or leave the band exposed so you know where it's at. Leave it there for five weeks and then pull the underwear out. If they are like, you know how wet newspaper will kind of just fall apart and yeah. crumple? If it falls apart like that, your soil has really good living microorganisms in it wow and it's not there's nothing in those that would pollute your soil no, no that's just the are they 100 cotton yeah because cotton is made of cellulose and that's one of the things that microorganisms oh, help break down because like when the plant very, leaves fall down something has to eat them up that's very interesting that cool? and i hope the neighbor sees us burying Plants. our underwear what are those crazy people doing well anyway yeah. but, but one last thing on that just the 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 similarities between deep space and sort of the the unknown of just continuing space in the mm-hmm. universe it just reminded me of what he was saying about the expanse of microorganisms and how we don't really even know how far they travel to get yeah. to the plants I, know. I think there is how a, could you even begin to tap into that like well i think there's an intelligence going on under there that we may never understand yeah and just like so something else he mentioned was the food that we eat, how it has this relationship with our body too. You remember yes, talking about gut, that with the gut? And the similarities between the the microbiome in your gut and in the soil. There's some really interesting research on that too. That whole conversation we had about yeah. the gut um, biome and what's in the soil. Right. And I'm going to include that in the, the show notes oh, cool. because it's a really long study, but it's really interesting. Yeah. They're starting to kind of see the relationship between food our gut, where the food comes from. You know what I mean? It's just, it's full circle really, isn't it? I mean, come on. Well, I think we're going to, I think emerging science is, I don't know that we'll ever figure it out completely, but I think emerging science on that is really going to surprise some people. It's it's just like the Pasture Brothers said, and we'll have them on uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, this Um, this whole month is just going to be so interesting, guys. mm -hmm. We have all these local farms that are 
farming the right way. Yeah, they are. And it's just like the pastor brothers said that you just trust the eco. You have to trust the system. And I think Hugh said something similar, but this whole process of nature working together has been working way before we got here and it'll work way after we're gone. That's right. And so you don't have to know exactly how it works. But you have to trust that it's going to. Yeah. And you don't, we don't need to try to control it. I think as humans, it's we want to problem. control and maintain and yeah. increase and feel like we can make it better when we need to learn from it. Right. That's exactly right. Anyway, it was a super interesting interview and uh, I learned a lot from it. Which, oh my uh, gosh. I did great. so much. And one of the, I'm excited though about that soil test. I'm going to go plant some underwear in my backyard this weekend. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Um, so anyway, as we're wrapping up, guys, I did want to do a couple of plugs again. I am going to be at the Apopka Art and Foliage Festival. Yep. It will be there March 28th and 29th. Thank you so much. I was going to ask you when the dates yeah, were. So it, It's at Kitland Nelson Park. Everybody knows that that lives in Apopka. That's right. That's oh, yeah. Well, that's true. Thing. <laughs> if you're not in Apopka, it's at Kitland Nelson Park. It's a very cool art festival. We go every year to look at all of the different local art. Artists come in from all over the place. Yeah. Such a big varying uh, um, sort of range of types of art. I'll be there with both of my novels. I'll be signing books and things like that. But also there's a section that is all plants yes. and it is awesome. It's like indoor, outdoor foliage because it is the foliage festival. There's a butterfly garden usually there oh every gosh, year. There's such great stuff there. There's it, a lot of crafts, yeah. you know, like not store-bought stuff. Like this is crafts that people are making and selling as their their art. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, and they got really good food. I mean, it's not it's good for trucks, you, but yeah. it's really good. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be on Facebook Live tonight. If you're listening to this episode of the podcast on the day it came out, that is Thursday. That's going to be Thursday, March the 5th at 8 p.m., people. Yeah, come so and join us live. Come join us live because it might be the last one we do for a little while. We're going to do at least one a month. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of me wants you to, to join us so you can see the results of the 16 hours. I've used trying to figure out how to get us to use our microphones on Facebook Live. Let's um, keep our fingers crossed that everything goes as planned, Daniel. Uh, Things yeah. like to happen sometimes. But yeah, you can uh, check us out at our website, fineanddangy.com. Dot com. That's right. You can email Add us. Add the at, dot com in there. You have to. <laughs> Um, you could uh, email us at feedback at fineanddangy.com. And again, that's D-A-N-J-E-E. You can call us at 407-490-3899 if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a suggestion for someone else that should be a guest on yes. the show, if you have thoughts or comments about the show, if you just want to say hi, tell a joke, whatever you want to do. A joke love. would be good. We like jokes. We do. We Keep love- it clean, baby. Yes. And we love hearing <laughs> from you guys. Um, we are booked up through... And, um, going into to July now. Okay, so we're booked so, up through July. Yeah, but, we got a couple but, spots left in July. Yep. So anyway, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, we are here every Thursday with a new episode. Yeah, we'd love to hear what you think about the episode too. So give us a review. We would so much appreciate it. And if you don't have time for a review, if you can rate and definitely subscribe so that you find out when our upcoming shows are. That's right. You get the special alert. You get to know before anybody else does that (laughs) we are coming on the air, baby. It's part of an exclusive membership. (laughs) Exclusive membership. (laughs) All right, that wraps it, guys. So until next Thursday, remember, at the end of the day, it's it's all all fine and dangy. So...
I was thinking that um, you know we could just uh, we could we could uh, I don't know what I was gonna say. 